This is episode number 199 with Kate Northrup. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app, which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? This episode is brought to you by Uveda. As you guys know, I'm obsessed with Ayurveda and Uveda is an epic, heart-centered, family-owned Ayurvedic company with a larger-than-life vision to create a healthier, happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Now, I truly wish that none of us needed supplements. But in this modern world, with the depletion in our soil and with the full lives we all lead these days, sometimes our bodies need some extra love and support. This is why I love Uveda. They are such high-grade, Ayurvedically developed supplements to support not only your body, but your mind and soul too, helping you rebalance and come back to homeostasis, which is what the body wants. I love their mood supplements and love how they come in individual packs, perfect for someone who travels as much as I do. Now I've teamed up with Uveda to give you, the Epic MA Tribe, 35% off your first order. So all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Uveda, and that is spelt Y-O-U-V-E-D-A, and you can get your 35% off your first order right now. Kate Northrup is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, and mother. She has built a multimedia digital empire with her husband, Mike Watts, that reaches hundreds of thousands globally. They are committed to supporting ambitious women to light up the world without burning themselves out in the process. Sounds good to me. Kate teaches data-driven and soul-driven time and energy management practices that result in saving time, making more money, and experiencing less stress. Sounds so good. She has a membership of over a thousand entrepreneurs called Origin Collective that's about infusing more feminine energy into your business and reclaiming your time. And she has also helped over 5,000 students heal their relationship with money with her signature Money Love course. 
Her first book, Money, A Love Story, has been published in five languages, and her second book, Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management for Busy Mums, is out now. Kate's work has been featured by The Today Show, Yahoo, Finance, Women's Health, Glamour, The Institute for Integrative Nutrition, Wonderlust, The Huffington Post, and so much more. Kate and I have been in the same circles for many years, and I'm so excited to have her with us today. Because in this episode, we chat about her story and how she got to where she is today, why she wrote Do Less, how to rewrite your money story and why you need to fall in love with money, what to do if your partner is not on board and have the same visions as you, how to do less but achieve more, the 80-20 rule, I loved this, how women and men experience time differently, this was fascinating, the different cycles women experience in the month, what it means if you bleed on the full moon versus the new moon, the power of network marketing, how motherhood has changed her, the power of sisterhood, plus so much more. And for everything that Kate and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 199. But before we dive into this beautiful conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, this five-star review comes from Casa Daza, and it's titled, Stumbled Upon This Magic. And she says, I came across this podcast through Instagram when I was mindlessly scrolling one night. I clicked on the link to the podcast and instantly found myself loving it and now listen to one a day. I feel inspired and motivated and can't begin to express how much I've learned. Keep doing what you're doing. So many of us are loving it and super grateful for stumbling across it. Casa, I am so grateful for that beautiful review. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad you're getting so much out of it. Thank you for listening and tuning in every day. You are amazing. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes to leave that review right now. And without further ado, I'm so excited to bring on this beautiful soul, the amazing Kate Northrup. Welcome, Kate. I'm so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had scrambled eggs with spinach and an avocado. Oh, yum. Yum, yum, yum. And bulletproof coffee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just doing that these days for a little extra zhuzh. (laughs) I love it. Now, one of the first books that I ever picked up on my spiritual journey, which really began back in 2010, was actually your mum's book, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. And that's how I first discovered you. And your mum's been on this show. And since then, we've been in the same B-school circles for many years. And I've admired your work, especially your books and your podcast. So I am so pumped to have you here today. But first, before we dive into your amazing books and all of the beautiful work that you're doing in the world, 
Can you tell us your story and how you got to where you are today doing the amazing work that you and your husband do for women all over the world? Absolutely. So I, you know, I actually got started in business very young. I really started in direct sales actually when I was in high school. But then in 2010, I started a blog because I wanted to have a creative outlet and only later realized that that could be a business. And I wrote my first book, Money, A Love Story, and that did really well, except for the problem was that quite shortly after it came out, I didn't really have anything further to say on money. So at the time, I felt quite creatively dried up. And I felt like everyone else who was in my circle, who had had books come out around the same time and felt like contemporaries were moving ahead. And I was not. And I felt like I sucked. And then, you know, during that period of time, I ended up getting married. I had a baby. And during my pregnancy with that, with my first child, Penelope, I was so tired. I have never, I am, you know, I, I meet women all the time who are like, I loved being pregnant. And I am not one of those women. I just like did not, I just was like, that's a lot. So I was so exhausted and I needed to, in order to just barely function, I was sleeping like 10 or 11 hours at night and taking three hour naps. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I cut my work hours like in half, but my husband and I run our own company. We were about to have a kid. We don't have in the United States any paid parental leave and we didn't have a company paying maternity or paternity leave. So we needed to get the same results income wise with less than half the amount of work. And then I had Penelope and that was a a somewhat traumatic experience for me. And honestly, becoming a mother was just so shocking. And it was that first year was the hardest year of my life. Penelope was sick. She was not a sleeper. We only had 10 hours of childcare a week. And yet we sat down the first year after she was born and we had made the same amount of money as we had in years prior when we had been working twice as much. And so I just thought to myself, well, what the heck was I doing all of those years? (laughs) putting in all those hours if I could have gotten the same results in half the amount of time. So that's why I wrote this book. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about both of your amazing books, but let's start with Money, A Love Story, because that's the one that you wrote first. Why is it so important that we fall in love with money and we reevaluate our relationship with money? And, And how do we do that? Mm, Yes. So it is so important because we have to use money every day. And so it's not one of those things like if you have a tumultuous relationship with drugs or alcohol, you can just, I mean, I I understand it is not easy, but you can stop using them. Whereas money, we live in a society where you need money. And money is this thing that we sort of all agreed to participate in. And the thing is, we as humans, we made it up. It really doesn't exist. And it's just a stand-in. It's a symbol for value, for what we value. And so we really need to, you know, for me and for the people I've worked with, we've had over 5,000 graduates of our Money Love course. It's about 
creating a loving relationship with our money so that it it is no longer a source of stress and angst, but instead a source of freedom and joy and possibilities. So, it, you know, because otherwise it just causes so much stress and friction every single day, all day long. Yeah, absolutely. So many people are in that state right now where money is a cause of such stress and relationships break up and break down over it. So how do we get to that place where money is a source of joy and and fun and play and not so stressful? How do we get there? Because some people listening might be like, oh my gosh, that feels miles away. Yeah. But how do we get there? Well, first of all, I am a huge believer in examining where our beliefs came from. And that's why I called my book Money, A Love Story, because we really need to examine the story that we're carrying around, around money, examine the story that we inherited, really come clean on what our money story is, and then choose from this day forward to write a different one. Because there are people who are, and by the way, I also just want to say it's not about the amount of money. I know people who make millions who are not happy. I know people who make, you know, 30,000 a year who are incredibly joyful. So it is not now at the same time, though, money brings us choices. And so it's important to get honest and get real about where your money beliefs came from and what they are, because that first step of awareness is so powerful for change. And I'm sure, I mean, listeners of your show already are, I'm sure, on board with the notion that our beliefs create our reality to some degree. I mean, obviously there are other forces going on in the world that are systemic, but there is a large degree to which our beliefs create our reality. And so that is so true when it comes to money. So I I believe in the excavation process and really doing that work to sit with yourself and, and find out who's running the show and what beliefs are running the show. Because no amount of right financial management techniques can really change your money story. But once you change your money story, or once you own your money story and then start to write a new one, then the financial action steps that all the personal finance people are telling you to do, but you can't seem to get yourself to do, then you will do them joyfully. Mm, absolutely. And it's often you know, when we do that inner work, when we do that reflection and we get really honest with ourselves on whose money story we're actually playing out. Like for me, it was my dad's, you know, it was my dad's story. And I was like, whoa, I have been living out my dad's money beliefs for 24 years. This is, you know, in my early twenties, when I realized this 24 years, and some people don't have this realization till a lot later in life. And I am so glad that I had this realization earlier on because I was able to see that his beliefs were what I was living out and that actually wasn't my truth. So I was able to rewrite my story, rewrite my money story and create a different reality for myself from an, from very early on, which I'm just so grateful for. And the thing is, is everyone can do this. It just is a matter of yeah. sitting down and being really honest with ourselves and, you know, getting out your pen and paper and rewriting what you truly believe because, yeah, we can all do it. 
Yeah. And there's no reason that, I mean, there's the, there's how we were raised and there's the circumstances we were born into. And again, there, you know, there's prejudice, there's, 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 there are issues. Like, I don't want to say there aren't issues in the world that hold people back that are outside their control, but there's a lot that's within our control. And there's no reason that you can't do this work to change a large part of the reality. And what are some of the results that you have seen when people have rewritten their money story and fallen in love with money? What are some of the results that you've personally witnessed? Well, certainly, I mean, in my own life, I paid off $20,000 in debt in a couple of months and doubled my income or actually quadrupled my income within a year. And that was that was due to doing the work that I write about in the book. But beyond myself, because that's not as interesting <laughs> as of my the people I work with, one woman I met this past weekend, actually, it was so cool. She said that she had had this desire to start a business for years and years and years. And she just had a lot of blocks about it. You know, she wasn't from an entrepreneurial family. She was scared. Uh, she, you know, scared of the risk. And she said that when she read Money, A Love Story, and she she there was something in the way that she understood about money and value for the first time that she finally got the courage to start her business. And she and her husband now run this beautiful six-figure business. And, and it was like the permission she needed to step out and create the freedom that she really craved. Also, you know, paying off, paying off debt for the first time, feeling worthy of charging what you're worth whether it's speaking fees or your consulting fees, launching online courses, all, all kinds of amazing, amazing results. And a lot, one, one client of mine said after going through this work, she was having conversations with her husband of 20 years for the first time in their marriage without it ending in a fight. Wow, that's amazing. Because it can really be a source of huge stress for a lot of people, especially in their romantic relationships. That's one of the most common things that people fight about is money, which is just such a shame because if two willing participants did the inner work and actually rewrote their stories, they could probably move through this and, you know, there might be a lot less divorces. I, you know, I really think you're right. Mm. And I will say money was a huge part of a factor in my parents' divorce. And so, I am so vigilant about financial conversations in my own marriage because having watched it go south, I really am committed and I'm so grateful that I found a guy who's also committed to doing his work because it's really not about the money. It's about our w- being willing to examine our own inner dialogues and beliefs and see where we're holding ourselves back. And so, you know, if you are looking for a partner, I would recommend because I work with so many people who are like, well, what if my husband is just really in lack mentality? Or what if my partner is really in lack mentality and isn't willing to do any work around it? I'm like, that is really tough if somebody is not willing to look at themselves. So that's just a little side relationship note. Find somebody who's willing to look at themselves. I know. What do you do though if someone listening is having these light bulb moments, these realizations, and they're willing and they're open and they're ready and they do the work, but their partner is just so closed, not interested, almost, you know, turns 
a blind eye to it. Like what do yeah. what do people what do you do? I'm sure you've seen that in your in your courses. Like what what have you what have you seen work? What are some strategies or is there anything that you can do? I really think there's always something we can do and I think the best thing that we can do is do our own work. Because nine times out of 10, when we are mad at somebody else for being a certain way, it's because we are that way. And so, and I do believe that we attract our partners because they have, you know, their assignments because, because we have big lessons to learn together. And so the, the number one thing is to stay in your own lane, do your own work and do your own healing work. And even, you know, my husband and I are, we are always talking about stuff, always working on stuff, totally willing to go to therapy for a tune-up every now and again. And yet, you know, of course he drives me crazy with certain things. <laughs> I still will look at like, okay, that thing is driving me crazy. How am I doing that in my life? Or, or what is that shedding light on in my own way of being? Because the only thing I love, my friend Chris Carr says, the only time you can change somebody else is when they're in diapers. <laughs> and and we can just only keep our eye on our own paper and hopefully through our own behavior, inspire the other person to shift or or shift our side of the relationship. Because when we shift our own behavior, the relationship can't actually stay the same. So something also changes on the other side. It has to. And this applies to our children as well, not just our partners. You know, yeah. we can't change them. We can't. No, we cannot. Other than their diapers, we are very much yeah. in that stage in my house, but we cannot. It's really to honor who they are. You know, my, my oldest daughter is, uh, she just is here to teach me lessons and, and she really has slowed me way down. I mean, since her, my pregnancy with her, she is really the, you know, sh the do less work came through Penelope. It's just, and I, I noticed myself wanting to hurry her up all the time. And she's just my little angel reminding me like, slow down, mama, be here. Mm, so beautiful. So beautiful. Well, I absolutely loved Money, a Love Story. And I think it's so important that people do a little bit of inner work, look at their relationship with money see where your beliefs are, whether it's from your parents or a teacher or someone in your life and rewrite your money story because not only will you create maybe, you know, like you did, you paid off your debts and, and some of your people, you know, started their business, but the freedom that you feel, you know, it's like such a weight lifted off your shoulders when you heal your relationship with money. It's so freeing. And I want to encourage everybody to reevaluate their relationship with it and do a little bit of inner work because it is the best feeling when you are living in alignment with your truth. And that just ripples out into every area of your life. Absolutely. And I also want to say very much like a spiritual practice, I think this is a forever kind of thing. You know, I did so much healing around my money relationship in my mid-20s and then getting married and then having kids and then our business expanding brought up so many more opportunities for financial healing. So I also just want to say, get on the path and know that it's part, it's part of the journey. It's part of becoming more of who you are. And I don't believe there's this end point where you have to feel like, oh gosh, 
I have to do all this work and somehow I'm going to get to this end point. And that way we can be lighter about it and more, um, and have more fun with it mm. when we know that it's kind of a forever thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, like you said, it's like a new growth spurt. So, you know, you yeah. get married and then you grow a bit more and then you have kids and then you grow a bit more and then you start a business and you grow a bit more. It's That's the same in my journey. I did a lot of healing in my early 20s. But yeah, I'm still I'm still fine-tuning. I'm still on this path. I'm still here in this physical body going along my journey. So I love that you said that. It's no, There's no end point. It's about continuously showing up, doing the inner work, and it's so beautiful when you have a partner who's also on board. It just makes things a lot easier. That's for sure. It does indeed. Now let's change gears a little bit because your second book, which I tore through, by the way, it was amazing. So thank you so much for sending that to me. Now it's called Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management for Busy Mums. But you know, it's not just for mums. So, because there's so many great practical tips and tricks on time and energy energy management. So, tell us about you shared why you wrote this. But how can you know people listening be like, okay, how do I do less but still achieve what I want to achieve and still make you know amazing money? How can we actually do that? And why is it so important? Well, it's so important. I'll start with why it's so important, then I'll and then I'll tell you how. It's so important because at the end of our lives, none of us will sit on our deathbed and wish we had gotten more done. None of us. Mm. The Bronnie Ware wrote a great book called The Five Biggest Regrets of the Dying. And they include things like wishing they had kept in touch more with their friends and family, wishing they had given themselves more permission to live the lives they wanted as opposed to the lives that others expected of them, wishing they had allowed themselves to be more joyful, things like that. And so none of those have anything to do with getting things done. So I just want to be really clear. I think that our obsession with productivity as a culture is completely missing the mark. That being said, I am also an achievement-oriented person. (laughs) And so I think we can have both. And I know, I know for sure that that those first, that, that year I was pregnant uh, with my first and that first year of motherhood, the reason we were able to make just as much money as previous years when I was working twice as much is because I got laser focused because I had to, because I had such limited time and energy and bandwidth. And I was so profoundly sleep deprived that I just got so focused on what needed to happen in a short period of time. And I didn't even have time or energy to think about it, to deliberate about it. It just became instantly clear, like this matters, this doesn't. My boundaries got really good. And so how we can apply this, how I apply this now when my life isn't quite as intense is the 80-20 rule, number one. I just live and breathe this. And I'm sure that you apply this in your business as well, Melissa. It's to know that really and truly 80% of our results come from 20% of our actions. And so in business or in your life, in your career, what that means is, and I I offer this exercise right in the book, but I'll just walk you through it real quick because you can do it listening right now. Write on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle and on one side, on the left-hand side, write out the tasks that you do on a weekly basis in your job or in your business. And on the right-hand side, write out your biggest career wins to date. And then 
draw a line from the biggest career wins to date directly to the tasks on the left that actually resulted in those big wins. And you will very quickly have a list on the left-hand side of your 20% that leads to 80% of the results. And then over time, the idea is to let more and more of the rest of the items go and focus more and more of your precious time and energy on that 20%. I mean, there are many more ideas in the book. That's not the only one, but really it's like, to me, the 80-20 rule is the 80-20 of doing less. (laughs) It's like, if you just did that, you would get so many results. Mm. It's so interesting because six years ago, I became a stepmom. And that for me made me put a lot of things in perspective. And I did, I became so laser focused where before that I would just, you know, work all day. And I'm like, I'd get to the end of the days and I'd be like, okay, I achieved this and this. But I was kind of sitting at my computer all day where now I sit down, I've got a couple of hours to laser focus, to get everything done that I need to get done that day before school pick up. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing like having kids to to get more stuff done, to really focus that in. But what, what else, what are some other tips that you share in the book that allow us to actually do less, but still achieve more? Because you've got some data from Sweden and Mexico that prove that the less work we do, the more productive we become. So how does that work? Well, so what's so interesting is that we are all kind of globally adhering to this 40 plus hour work week, which is not based on data. It's not evidence-based. It's actually based on the industrial revolution and it's based on machinery. So I just want to put that out there first to say it's ridiculous. <laughs> we are just showing up to sit at a desk for this. It's, it's actually an arbitrary number of hours. What the data shows is that we do about 24 to max 30 hours of focused work a week. And that actually even high performers, you know, novelists and athletes and people who are really honing their craft are only focusing four to five hours a day on anything that actually moves the needle forward in their work. And that the rest of the time is just kind of like pushing papers around or answering meaningless (laughs) emails or scrolling social media. And in Sweden, they're actually moving towards a national work day, I'm sorry, work week of 30 hours a week. So a six hour work day. And companies who have already implemented it are noticing that their employees are getting just as much done in six hours a day as they were in eight hours a day. So productivity has not declined at all because they are limiting meetings, they are off social media, and they're not giving in to distractions because they know they only have these hours and then they're going to go out and play with their families or they're going to go take a bike ride or they're going to you know, go have a picnic or whatever. And more importantly than productivity increasing, although that's amazing, workplace happiness has increased a lot And also absenteeism is decreasing and workplace drama decreases, which also saves a lot of time and energy because, you know, I know you, you work with a team. I work with a team when there's drama within the team in a company, it takes a lot of time and energy away from actually doing the work. Mm. So working less leaves less of that. Yeah. I love that. And you talk about how men and women experience time differently and how we can access our productivity blueprints. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. So I was so fascinated to learn this from Elisa Viti, who wrote Woman Code. And it's so fascinating that so, so hormonally speaking, men's hormones cycle every 28 days. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Men's hormones cycle every 24 <laughs> hours. Women's hormones cycle every 28 days. Now, this makes a lot of sense because we live in a patriarchy that is focused on the experience of living in a male body. And so all of our time and all of our time management systems and all of you know the corporate world and everything is set up, of course, for a 24-hour cycle. And the idea is you're supposed to reset and be exactly the same as you were the day before, if not more energized and more productive, right? And more like get out there and hustle. But women, we are actually cyclical in a very predictable way. But instead of over 24 hours, we have these same four energy phases as a man has within the course of a day, but we have them over 28 days. And what's so important to know about that is that as women, we ourselves have downloaded this idea that there's something wrong with our bodies because they're unpredictable or we're all over the place or, you know, women act crazy when they're having their period or, oh, you're just, you're just, you must be having your period. Like you don't actually feel that way, right? There's so much discrediting of the female experience. And what's so important to know is that we have these four energetic phases over the course of a month. Now, and by the way, I just want to also say, if you're pregnant, if you've had a hysterectomy, if you are postmenopausal, this still applies because these four phases of a woman's cycle are mirrored in the four phases of the moon. And our bodies are made up of more than 60% water. And we actually are in tune as humans to the moon because of our water content and because of the fact that the moon creates tides. And studies actually show that that there are instances linked to the full moon, like an increase in hospital visits, an increase in accidents. So we are we are lunar creatures. Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about this in my book, Open Wide, as well. And I just think it's so important that as women, we start to get in tune with our cycle. And I love that you talk a lot about this in Do Less. And I'm a massive fan of charting and just starting to really become in tune and, and looking at how you your energy is over the month. So how does that apply to our working style and getting things done? How does that apply? Yeah, so I think it's really important to know what these four energetic phases are. So if you're tracking the moon or the or your menstrual cycle, I'll just kind of lay out what the phases are. There's the menstrual part of your cycle when you're bleeding, and that is the same energy as the new moon. And that's the time when it's a great time for rest and reflex and reflection. And your brain will actually be the most wired for connectivity between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And you, your intuition will be the strongest as a result of that. So you'll actually get your most intuitive information and your most spot on wisdom during that time. Then there's the follicular phase. It's the same energy as the weight, as the waxing moon when the moon is moving from new to full. And that energy is really kind of springtime energy. It's the energy of, of fresh starts and new beginnings and brainstorming and initiating things. 
And then the next phase is ovulation or the full moon, same energy. That's the time of peak fertility and cross-fertilization and peak receptivity. It's a time when you really want to be out there. Like you really feel like going to a cocktail party. You, you're, you're the most verbally communicative, verbally fluent during this time, the best communicator. And you're also the most magnetic to your desires, whether that's literally, you know, to get pregnant or to metaphorically get pregnant, because we all metaphorically are looking to get pregnant with something. Okay, just one more, which is the luteal phase in your menstrual cycle, or the it's like an autumn energy. It's the waning moon, and it's really a turning within time. It's a time to bring things to completion. Culturally, we have we have trouble bringing things to an end. You know, we think that things ending means that they failed somehow, but I but there are things that just only have a timeline of however long they have. So as a culture, we like to, we kind of skip over this phase, this energy of completion and tuning and turning within, but it's a really important energy. And to know that we will go through all of these during a month, but I really like to look at projects from these four energetic signatures as well, to know that your projects, whether it's writing a book, launching a podcast, you know, coming up with a with uh, some sort of new program, those projects will also have these four energetic signatures so that you can begin to track and realize, oh, there actually is a time for the pause. There's a time for initiation. There's a time for launching and then there is a time for completion. But as entrepreneurs or achievement-oriented people, we tend to go from the springtime energy right into summertime, back into springtime, back into summertime, back into springtime, back into summertime. And then we get so tired and exhausted and burned out and over time, our work actually suffers. So the depth of our work will suffer and the power of our work will suffer when we are just doing the two energetic phases of sort of spring summertime versus also including the bringing things to a close and then the pause. Mm, That's why that downtime, that reflection is so important. I love this and it's so fascinating. But what if you don't bleed on the new moon and you bleed on the full moon? How does that then work? So I found out this is really cool, you know, because if you follow, if you follow the moon and if you're kind of into spirituality, you may know that when women are not exposed to artificial light, they do tend to bleed on the new moon. However, in community, however, I found out that back in the day when there was not artificial light, there was a group of women, a smaller group of women that would bleed on the full moon because traditionally women who were bleeding, they rested, right? Because that's what our bodies feel like doing. So believe it or not, they actually did that. And then the women who were bleeding on the full moon were then able to take care of the women who were bleeding on the new moon and then vice versa. So there was always someone there to nurture, always someone there to care because nature is so genius. It takes care of everyone and it takes care of everything. And our bodies are wired to do that. But If you are, that was just a side note, I think it's interesting. But if you are bleeding on the full moon, if you have your period on the full moon instead of the new moon, it just means it's a different energy of it. And so I like to go with body first. So I follow what my body is doing first and then I kind of add in the flavor of the moon. But for some women who have irregular periods or are pregnant or nursing or, you know, are past menopause, whatever, the moon is such a great thing to track uh, in terms of 
cross-referencing our energetic patterns with the moon because the moon is so predictable, right? I mean, you could look out to add a lunar calendar for 50 years in the future. So that's kind of a nice thing to track against if you don't have a regular cycle to follow. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So interesting. And so, oh my gosh, it's so fascinating. I just love it. And when I started doing this a couple of years ago and really got into it, I finally allowed myself to slow down and to take those more rest, that, that rest period. I really allowed myself to do that. And do you know what happened? I achieved more. I got more done. I wrote, yeah. I wrote two books. I launched a podcast. I created programs because I allowed myself to stop. And even now, like on my first day or two or, you know, however I'm feeling, it's literally a whole day just for me. And mm. especially that first day, I just, yeah. I just rest. I mean, I don't have small children, but I just rest. And, you know, maybe I spend time in nature, but that is my day just to really soak up the relaxation and and do what feels good for me. And I cannot tell you how much that has impacted my work just by doing that one thing. And I know there is a couple of, I think, I think it is Sweden. I can't remember of exactly, but they are implementing, you know, bleeding days in their in their workforces where on their first day, yeah, on their first day, the women can can stay at home or can work from home, which I just think is amazing. Wow. That's amazing. I love, 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 love hearing that. And you know, I just also want to say how ridiculous it is <laughs> that that it's still culturally such a taboo to talk about our period given the fact that it is responsible for human life. Mm. So I love that, you know, that Sweden is at the forefront there, just making that a national thing. How cool. I think it's Sweden. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember, but... I'll Google it afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's really interesting. And I just think it's so important that we take that time for ourselves. And, you know, some people, they might not be able to because of their work or whatever, but... You know, even if you can't, maybe it's just getting, you know, up in the morning and and doing something for yourself, whether it's just some breathing or a meditation, just to fill yourself up as much as you can. Or even, you know, I remember my mom talked about this. She was, you know, she was delivering babies. She was up every third night. It wasn't, she really couldn't like take a break per se, but she would just, you know, walk to the door of the hospital, just like a little bit slower. So we can all do, like, just walk a little slower to the grocery store or or whatever it may be, you know, maybe instead of straightening up the living room that night and putting away all the toys, you just sit on the couch and read a book. Mm. It's a little bit, can be really, really impactful. Yeah. So simple. It's just those little things that make such a big difference. Yeah. So... In the theme of always growing and evolving, what's something that you're working on within yourself at the moment? Oh, well, I'm so glad you asked because it's right on track with your book. <laughs> now with, with your book, Open Wide, which I'm in the middle of reading right now and very, very much enjoying. Thank you. And I am loving really looking at my own body and my sexuality, because I have, I have, uh, my second daughter is now a little over one. And I feel like I'm in this place in my life of a reclamation, like of my 
I, you know, my sexuality as a woman, like I've gone through this portal of becoming a mother and, and I'm, I'm wanting to bridge the split between motherhood and sexuality just in my own experience. And so I'm just very interested in learning about it, talking about it, trying different practices. You know, one of them for me is, has always been dancing. So that's really exciting for me. And that's kind of what I'm like noodling about the most these days. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love dancing as well. It's so beautiful. It's just so freeing. But I'd love to know, were you someone who, because you're very driven and you're type A, you're very much like me, we we love to achieve. (laughs) When, When you were considering having a child, was it something that you toyed with? Were you like, oh, but, but, you know, my career and, oh, but I still want to have a child. Like was, or were you like, no, I want to have a child. Like, because I know a lot of women sit in that middle and then there's some women who are just like, no, I've always wanted to be a mom. So where did you sit in that spectrum? I always wanted to be a mom for sure. And interestingly enough, I thought that I wanted to be a stay at home mom. I had built my first business in direct sales so that I could make enough residual income to stay home with my kids someday. And, and I did that. And then I had kids and then I was like, I don't want to be a stay at home mom. (laughs) So it's just so you, we, we just never know, you know, we never know what life is going to hold. And, um, I obviously love my children, but I really love my work and I am so grateful that I get to do both. Yeah, but I always was super clear that I was going to be a mom, but it's been way harder than I ever expected. Yeah, wow. And how was it having that, uh, you know, your direct sales, your network marketing business? Like, how did that feel for you having that security there whilst you embarked on this pregnancy journey? Well, it felt so good. I mean, I had worked on that for, let's see, when I got pregnant, I was 32. So I'd been growing that for 14 years, really with the intention of setting myself up for that moment financially. And we still needed to work on it. It wasn't like it just came in completely automatically, but it felt great to have that foundation at least that we could grow from and know that, you know, if worst case scenario, we really couldn't couldn't work, that we had some, we might've needed to back down our lifestyle some, but we could have made that work financially um, and taken a full break for a little while. We didn't end up doing that. Well, I took three months off with Penelope, but, but it was, it was made that initial year a lot easier and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Mm, That's the beautiful thing about network marketing. Yeah. Yeah. How has motherhood changed you? Oh, it has just given me so much compassion for humanity. <laughs> just like I I thought I was going to be somebody who just because I wanted to be a mom my whole life, I just sort of assumed it would be easy for me. And yet, suddenly being in charge of keeping this little person alive and then with the hormonal changes and just the massive identity shifts and I was just so shocked by how exhausted I was, how my life had shifted so dramatically overnight. And I didn't realize how much I loved having my freedom. And so I think that, I think that, that motherhood is just, it, it really (laughs) sounds dramatic, but it's really broken me down in the best of ways. I think that things that, that are very, very difficult and break us down, they make us softer 
and in many ways more resilient. Like I feel like I am just a much softer, but at the same time, stronger person. And I love that because there's this common experience of of bringing humans into the world or shepherding them through the world, I feel like I can relate to almost everybody on a level that is so beautiful. You know, I can connect with other people, especially especially mothers, but really everybody because mother, birth for sure and then being a mother has just put me in touch a little bit more with the heartbeat of what being human is all about. And I think I wasn't quite as connected to that before. Mm, That's so beautiful. So beautiful. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your two books, let's pretend that they're already there. What is the one book that you would choose? Oh, this is so hard. I love books so much. I mean, I'm obsessed. I read so much. Um, but you know what? The one that came into my mind first, which I'm going to have to go with, is Louise Hay's You Can Heal Your Life. Yes. That was my first book that I read on my journey. That was the first mm. book that I picked up when I hit rock bottom in 2010 and was in hospital. Someone gave me that book, and that was the book that changed my life. So. I love that book and it's it's amazing. And I had hoped to write a book where someone would say, your book was the Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life for them. And someone said that to me at the, the book launch of my first book, Mastering a Mingle, and I just like burst into tears and I was like, oh my gosh, so beautiful. That's a great moment. It was, it was. So now let's talk about how your days look. Like, do you have a morning routine? You and your husband work from home. You've got two little kids. I love hearing about how people set themselves up for the day. So can you kind of give us, I know no two days are ever the same, but can you kind of give us a little run through of how your day runs and in particular your morning routine? Yes, I always, the morning routine question really cracks me up and I will tell you why. I have two little kids who are very early risers. So like today, my day started at 4.44 with my baby crying and she would not go back to sleep. So then she got into bed with me and I nursed her hoping she would go back to sleep, which she did not. So we went down at 5.15, at which point my preschooler popped her head out of her room and was up and awake. (laughs) So we headed downstairs and then I put the water on for coffee and fed the baby. And then, so I will say my morning routine is like, at this point, it is a little bit, it's a bit chaotic due to how early my children wake up. And I know people say like, well, just wake up before your kids. But I just like, I'm not going to get up at 4.15. (laughs) So that's where I'm at right now. However, I will say once the once we get the girls either at their daycare or with our babysitter, then I really take some time for myself. So I will sit at my desk 
and or in the chair in my office. And I'll do just like a quick five, 10 minute meditation. And then I always set myself up for the week with my weekly planning ritual. And this is really important to me. The weeks I don't do it, I really am quite thrown off. About a two years ago, I moved from a daily to-do list to a weekly to-do list, which has given me so much more space and ease and grace in my life because I have was finding that with my daily, I always felt like I was coming up short. But with the weekly, because like life is so uncontrollable with small children. And so the weekly helped me so much because I automatically by put, making a weekly to-do list was much more vigilant about not putting things on there that I, that weren't going to get done because it was, it was fewer things spread over more time, if that makes sense. And so that to-do list sits on my desk. And then at the beginning of the day, I just really kind of take a look at that. And um, I also, it's very important in our household, there are no phones in our bedroom. So our phones get plugged in downstairs, usually about at eight o'clock at night, seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. And then the end of our evening is spent just me and Mike together not with technology and not with our kids. So I think that evening routine makes a huge difference because then the first thing I'm doing in the morning is not checking my phone. Yeah, so important. Yeah, we're the same. Don't charge our phones in our bedroom. Don't have them in the bedroom. It's just a small little tweak that actually makes such a huge difference. It's huge. Really does. It's huge. And when I do, like if I stay in a hotel or whatever, I notice it's like, it's like crack. It's really hard to not check my phone first thing when it's right there. I know. I know. I notice that too, when I'm traveling for a speaking gig and I'm in a hotel, I'll just be like scrolling Instagram at like nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I don't do this at home. Why, why do I do it here? I know. It's like this really bad behavior that really seeps in. So I'm just, you know, here I am on book tour trying to remain vigilant to that. Yeah. Good, 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 good. So important. Thank you for sharing that. So I'd love to hear now, what are three things you're most recently grateful for? Mm, Well, I am so grateful for uh, this past weekend. I spoke at an event here close to home called Ignite Your Soul Summit. And it was just a room filled with 450 vibrant, big dreaming women and a few great men. And I was so grateful for the opportunity to take the stage and then spend time with these women. Like there is just nothing like hanging out with a good group of women. For me, I just, I love it so much. So that was, that's number one. Number two, so, so, so grateful for my husband and the way he's been holding down the fort while I've been on airplanes with this book launch. He's just such an incredible man. He's such an incredible father. And, you know, with no resentment, no complaining, he's just like all in. And I'm so grateful for that. And then I am grateful here in the US. I'm grateful for the springtime. It's really my birthday is the first day of spring. And springtime for me always just heralds this feeling of rebirth and anything's possible. And I love it. Beautiful. Well, that's so exciting. So, How important do you think it is that we, for me, you know, our soul sister friendships, our our women, you said, you know, being with women really lights you up. How important is it for you that you do that? You know, is it something that you consciously do on a weekly basis? Is it something, you know, now that you've got two children, like how do you make sure that you are getting your soul sister sisterhood top up? in your life? Like, is it something that you consciously schedule or are you a little bit more relaxed and when it happens, it happens? 
it's a top priority for me. So I will make sure that at least once a week, I'm at least having a Skype date with a girlfriend or a phone call or a coffee date or a walk or, or something. So, you know, my life is full. I do have the kids. So when I'm not working, I am mostly with the kids, but if it's, you know, that I get a babysitter and Mike goes out for the night by himself and I go out with girlfriends or whatever it is, it's a top, top priority for me. Um, and a lot of times I'll voice memo back and forth with my girlfriends. So even if we're not like talking in real time, we're pretty connected on a weekly basis anyway. And that's incredibly nourishing because I can listen to the voice memos, you know, on my way to pick the girls up at school. Like I kind of listen to voice memos from my girlfriends like I listen to podcasts. Mm, Yeah, I do the same. We have an app called Voxer and it's just, yeah, voice memos. And it's so much better than texting. Like I don't like texting. I want to hear your voice. And it is, especially when you live interstate and you don't have, you know, those close friendships that live around the corner. It's a really beautiful way to, I mean, it's the best of what we can do. You know, it's FaceTime is also really amazing, but not, you can't always do that. But I think it's so important that we nurture those relationships and we stay in touch regularly. But for me, nothing beats the in-person. Like it's just, you know, know, it's so good. It's so good. And I heard on your podcast just recently, you had like a three hour dinner with one of your friends and you, you don't even remember to pull your phone out and take a photo. Like that's, that is the best. That's when, you know, it's like a good conversation. And I'm the same, like we have people over for dinner and I make them put their phones away and, and they're always on silent and I'll get up and, and walk over to the oven and see what the time is. And like three and a half hours has gone past and you're like, what? I know that's that, you know, that's what, that's the timelessness. That is the, the Kairos time, this idea of suspended time when it neither feels long nor short. We're just where we are. It's so beautiful, you know, to find ways that we can live our lives more often in Kairos. And that's time with my girlfriend's and sometimes guy friends, but mostly girlfriends, uh, is absolutely that for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I always say to my husband, let's do more things that make us forget to look at our phone. So whatever those things are, whether it's like even going to the cinema or going and watching some live music, do more of the things that make you forget to pick up your phone. Because it is so habitual now. It is so habitual. Like I find if I'm just like sitting on the couch, I'll just pick it up. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, I started to put my phone in my desk drawer Yes. when I'm working because I'll notice like I'll get stuck writing a blog post and it's not flowing or something. And then, and then I'll, I'll like pick up my phone and it's just, I know I, it's, it's such a bad habit. So if I've noticed, if I don't physically see it, I don't do that. And so that's been really helping me. Oh yeah. I'm exactly the same. So when I'm working at my desk, it's in the drawer. And when we're eating dinner, it's in the cupboard where it charges, like out of sight, out of mind. And it's so, it actually really, really works. So if you are struggling with that, put it away, get it out of your sight and that will help. Yeah, it really does. Okay. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I am. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Get as much sleep as possible. 
Yeah, love it. Or as much sleep as you need. Maybe not as possible, but as much sleep as you as you need and as you can get in this particular season of your life. Yeah, beautiful. What's one thing that we can do for our wealth, so more abundance in all areas of our life? Pay attention to the things that already feel abundant in our lives right now. Yeah, beautiful. And what's one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Be more loving of ourselves. Yeah, so, so simple, yet something that so many of us struggle with, but it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there anything else that you want to share, any last parting words of wisdom, anything that I didn't ask you about that you wished I had have asked you about, anything like that? Nothing that I wish you would ask me about, but I will end by saying that the world really needs us present. The world does not need us busy. Rushing is a surefire way to turn our light down and keep us away from our power. So finding that space, finding that stillness, slowing down, tapping into the cyclical nature of our creativity, our bodies, our lives is really the ticket, as you shared, for getting more done, but also more importantly, being more impactful, being more powerful. Mm, I love it. One of my favorite mantras is there is no rush. Mother Nature does not rush, yet everything is accomplished. And it's such a nice reminder. And this has been so beautiful. It's been awesome to finally chat to you and to hear your wisdom. And I want to thank you for the amazing work that you do in the world and for the books, the podcasts, everything that you guys do and all the love that you're putting out there. It's so important. And I'm so grateful for the light that you're shining. And I'm a massive believer in service. And I want to know how can I and the listeners serve you today? What can we do to serve you? Oh, what a beautiful question. Thank you. You know what? Getting a copy of Do Less, or if you already have one, sharing it on social, or, you know, you could share it by passing it along to somebody is it's really my mission to remind women of how powerful they are through breaking the addiction to busyness. So that's, that's my service. So that's how you can be of service to me in that mission. Yeah, it's so good, guys. Both of Kate's books are amazing. And her podcast, The Kate and Mike Show is bloody hilarious. (laughs) You and Mike are so funny. Like I just love listening to you guys so much. You give so much great advice, but just the banter back and forth is just really, really funny. You remind me of Nick and I so much. And I want to thank you for your time today, for all of your wisdom and your love and for the work that you do. I'm so grateful that we've been able to connect. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Wasn't that awesome? I got so many amazing reminders out of this episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me your five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together, and we can be part of the ripple effect together. And don't forget to come and join the Private MA Tribe Facebook group where we can share insights from this episode. Plus, you can also tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a very sacred space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, 
along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversation. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing that I get asked a lot is where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded people? This is the place. So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. And for everything that Kate and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 199. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And another thing that I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got my book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And you will also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week, make sure you leave your review over on iTunes right now. I would be so grateful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. Honestly, it means the world to me. And I'm so grateful and I'm so honored that you want to be the best version of yourself. And I'm so excited that you showed up today. You seriously rock. Give yourself a pat on the back. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this particular episode and from Kate's wisdom, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.